Welcome to the Special Delivery Podcast. I am your host, Special. And on this show, I like to sit down with artists to break down their latest project. And that's what we're doing today. Wynn joins me to break down everything you don't know and should know about her mixtape, if I may. And we talk about everything from the album artwork, the title, every single song, the producers, the features. Plus, we also talk about her graduating from college while making this project, why it's a mixtape versus an album, what song was a spiritual experience for her, the way that her career has kind of exceeded her expectations, and the surprising way that she makes her best music, plus so much more. So let's get into it. Hello, my name is Wynn. What's good? Yay, Wynn is here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm so excited to talk about this project. Oh yeah. Honestly, my first question comes down to, why is it a mixtape versus an album? It feels like an album. That's a great question. Um... I kind of considered an album for me to be something I want to have more time to work on, narrow down the producers I'm working on it with, be a little more conceptual, a little more cohesive. So for me, this was kind of like a a summation of stories over the course of my college years. And there isn't necessarily like a line that runs through it. You mentioned your college degree and you yeah. got it. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you talked about going back and forth between Eugene and Portland and recording this and taking classes and mm-hmm. that Instagram post where you were like, this was a lot of work and people yeah. worked with me. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that process is like? Because anybody who's gone to school knows how difficult it is, but also yeah. to be creating an album and being an artist is crazy. Yeah, it was a lot because my my team and my studio are in Portland and also half of them are in L.A. And so when I was going to school, I had met with the music school before my senior year and was like, yo, I just want to be able to work with you guys because I need to be able to do this full time. And they were like, absolutely, whatever you need to do, we can work with you. They turned a bunch of my music major credits into independent studies so I could like turn in my own music and get four credits for it and and write like journal entries on like what my L.A. trips were like and turn that in and was able to kind of give them pointers about how to lean when because my music was popular music studies. So to kind of guide them like, yo, these are the things that I'm learning as I'm working. These are the kinds of people I'm working with. These are the team members I'm hiring and what they do. And they can kind of use that to inform what they're teaching their students who also want to go down that path. So it was a cool kind of partnership between me and the school. But aside from all that, it was a shitload of driving. It was I would finish my class by two or three. I would drive two hours home to Portland. I would spend the night recording. I would wake up in the morning early. I would drive back to class, make it by 10. Then I would leave Eugene by five, drive back. Sometimes I was driving twice in a day to get back and forth. And then we would leave for L.A. on like Thursday afternoons, come back Monday morning early, go to class Monday, drive home to Portland. Yeah, it was hectic. That was my whole like fall and winter term. But I love that they collaborated with you not only to get the credits, but to see what you were going through. Mm Because I think that's so important in schooling because sometimes the teachers get a little far removed from it and Definitely. they don't know what the present day situation yeah. looks like and what it's like to be doing that field right now. Yeah. So I think that's super Especially cool. in music, it's always been so focused on classical and jazz, which is super important. But, you know, kids can make music in their bedroom these days with their laptop. So 
they're learning to kind of transfer their energy where needed. Now we got to get to the mixtape. Yes. <laughs> it feels like an album, I tell you, man. It's so good. <laughs> good. I'm glad it feels that way. <laughs> Why the title, If I May? If I May has a couple meanings to me. One of them was like, I spent my whole adolescence just locked in my room, just like learning to write. Like, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this and I need to work my ass off. And then I got to college and I was like, shit, I'm 20. Like, I should feel what that feels like. So if I may, was kind of me asking myself for permission to be dumb a little bit. And on a totally opposite note, it's a genuine question for hip hop. Like, can I do this? Because white people just like walk in and they take shit. And I wanted to kind of propose a question like, can I do this? And here are some of my stories. And then when I drop the album, that'll be more about like who I am and where I'm from and what I stand for. But this is just kind of like a, a taste of what I do. Yeah, I always interpreted too, like as a woman, mm -hmm. there's a lot of permission to just yes. be in the room or to do this or yeah. to do that. So that's what I got from it. But that's interesting too, especially as oh. a white woman in hip hop. Uh -huh. And you touched on it in songs and it's like, it's so important to recognize that and be like, hey, like I'm not just here to steal this. You even tell stories about you feeling like an outsider mm -hmm. and really identifying with this outsider craft and what yeah. that means to you. And yeah. I think that that's such an important story to tell because it's so authentic to who you are and mm -hmm. it's how you've gotten this far. So right. I think that's super important. Then we get to the album art. Yeah. How did that come around? Yo, that's actually a cool story. So Raph's not in here, but he's my hype man. We met in college. We played in a band called The Ill Equips. I was like, it was kind of like The Roots. We had like a horn section and drummer and everything. And there were three MCs and that's how Raph and I met. A lot of these stories in the project were created from nights of Raph and I going out and getting drunk and going to the, the college bars. And so on one of my last nights in my apartment in Eugene, Raph and I were super drunk and I had this huge ass teddy bear because we, we bought it off Facebook Marketplace for like 50 bucks. It's yes. eight and a half feet tall. We bought it for my last house show in Eugene. And then I just had it in my apartment, just sitting in my kitchen and I'd taken a couple shots and I slumped on it and Raph is drunk too. And he takes a disposable camera, doesn't even look at it, holds it down on his knee, snaps the picture. And then like a month later I got it developed and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> This is kind of crazy and i was about to post it and then i was like oh, actually like this could be some album art and it did in addition to all the other incredible things he does as being part exactly. of exactly so oh, that's crazy good yes. shit. i love that first track roll call The first voice we hear, that's your dad's. That's my dad. Sometimes when we get voicemails, they're real. Sometimes they're scripted. Mm -hmm. What was the process in this one? That was real. I actually, I've had that voicemail for two years. I saved it because it was just so funny to me. He called me because I put out this remix to a song and he calls me. He's like, you know, he's like a 55 year old white man. <laughs> and he calls and he's like, hey, you just put this song out. I don't really get it, but your brother said it's really good. So good job. <laughs> I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And just like he's calling me bean dip, you know, to start it off like you're hearing my dad clowning me. <laughs> it's cool. That one produced by Thelonious Martin. How did you team up with him? Thelonious, I think we had started following each other a couple of years ago. I've just been such a fan of his work, the textures and his percussion choices and stuff. So he had sent me a couple packs and I'd heard that beat. Actually, I'd wrote that song 
in like 2018 named it double xl freshman verse and i was like maybe someday i'm gonna manifest this i'm gonna do this for my double xl verse and i wrote it in 30 minutes and didn't think much of it Jeez. and then we recorded it played it for my manager and he was like holy shit this is crazy like you snapped on this and we started going to meetings and i would play my singles and he'd be like play that one song play that one song and i started playing it and everyone was tripping so he's actually the one who convinced me to make it the intro i love that my Thank goodness you. then we get to rose city i got more foot up on the dashboard press it like the back court going home to portland boy who else you think i rap for faded from the last night wonder what that bag like if i bring my bros are we still family over franchise we've been hanging less the more i'm increasing my hang time i'm trying to be jordan learn to cross over with hands tied damn right handle so wet they soak them in bags of rice i keep my feet planted right i'm the only elephant in the room who's not scared of mice they knows what the haters like Mm-hmm. just real championship music like you <laughs> feel it like hip boy just gave that real championship yeah. beat what went through your mind when you first heard it actually we had gone to just hear some beats from hip boy and he didn't play that one for me he sent me like 40 beats after the session I was like here the ones you liked and whatever and we're clicking through and we hear that one and we were like oh shit <laughs> like where where was this one because we, we wanted to make a mixtape that could kind of stand the test of time. And obviously you hear a classic hip hop sample like that and it just feels good. It's going to it's gonna stand for a while. And I knew that I wanted to kind of tell a little bit of my story with Portland in relation to kind of being in Eugene and the experience of bringing my brothers with me and trying to make this shit happen when you're in your early 20s. It's a weird path. So I tried writing it when I was in L.A., the song, and I just couldn't. I got back to Eugene actually on my last couple nights in my apartment and it just poured out of me because I was like, damn, I'm about to move home to Portland. I'm about to like represent that city. That's my home. And this is like the beginning of it. So we had a special Ty and I, Ty, my engineer. He's my engineer, but he does everything for me. We were in Sprout City, which is where we met the studio in Eugene, super tiny. And we started getting to know each other there, rapping over like YouTube beats. And then we come back finishing the mixtape. We made that like a month and a half before we dropped it. Rapping over Hit Boy. Shit. Yeah, that is crazy to me. That's let's, a special one for sure. Let's not gloss over the fact that you said not only were you in the studio with Hit Boy, but he sent you 40 productions. He sent like, me a bunch and they're all fire. Yes. Definitely going to be some more with that Hit Boy tag on him in the future. It's so beautiful. And you also mentioned in that song Dame's Advice. Yeah. What was that like? Dame's whole character is all based around loyalty. He's very much like, this city picked me and I'm gonna pick this city back. Every time I see him, he's talking about, we might be going through this right now, we might be going through this right now with with the team, but like, we're gonna turn it around, we're gonna bring a, a ring to the city. If I don't get a ring in this city, then I'm not gonna get a ring. And that kind of mentality to me, just like, you know, Portland needs that, because we don't really have that other than Dame and there's a lot to be said for the artists who stick to their roots. You know, we have the East Coast. We have even breaking it down into cities like there's New York, there's L.A., even Snoop repping Long Beach. Like you get familiar with those artists and they become more legendary because of how hard they represent their city. And the local scene has given me so much to be able to give back to that a little bit means a lot. So Dame definitely played a role in helping me come to that conclusion. Like, I don't need to move to LA. I can keep it here. Now, that's the most important part. I mean, I've talked to so many people from not even smaller cities, but just cities that mm-hmm. aren't super defined like that. 
And I think there is like kind of a hunch you have to go over to be like, no, I don't want to be from these other places. I want to be from where I'm right. from. And I think that you illustrate that so well throughout the project of just Thank like, you. no, I don't want to be from anywhere else. Yeah. Like, this is where I'm from. And, and I'm such a Northwest kid. Like, yes. I, every time I go to L.A., I'm like, this is cool, but like, it's hot. <laughs> I feel like I'm living in a simulation. It's a mess. <laughs> then we get to ego check. I don't look best, so that ho has never seen my face. Okay, being it's pretty self-explanatory it, it's super dope you, you you already talked about you know meeting jid through mm -hmm. since the 80s and mm -hmm. that whole thing and then of course dj og1 mm -hmm. super cool to have him on the cuts yeah. and have him sprinkled yeah. throughout the Shout project what was it like working with him i mean dj og1 is you know he's one of the godfathers of hip-hop in portland and means a shitload to the local community he puts on a lot of events gives a lot of opportunities to local artists to local youth you know he's the blazers dj he's out here networking for everyone he's doing a x-ray radio show to give local artists play he does a lot so he's someone who very early on was a champion and was ushering me into the scene encouraging me to get involved him along with you know dj cliff star child rest in peace and cool nuts are the people who really put on for the city so it meant a lot to get him involved on the biggest single and kind of feature you know his work as someone who's so legendary in portland then we get to my favorite play it i'm feeling myself one heart feeling me later grabbing drinks from the tray as i'm passing by the waiter i'm so tom cruise i'm so dicaprio my fashion's gonna get that reaction i've been asking for a passing hoes i smashed them about the dinner with my rent reaching out to kiss her cheek like baby have we met I know what she likes, I know what she needs to hear I know that she might let me hit it if I whisper in her ear A little bit of sweet nothing is like The perspectives are crazy I love when people take different perspectives And the way you did that was just so cool Because you completely flipped it to where the listener at first is like, wait, what is she even talking about? Yeah. And then you finally get it and then you're like, oh shit, women yeah. are players too Like, yeah. fuck that What was it like writing that and how'd you come up with that idea? I freestyled that whole song Jesus. in about 10 minutes What? and I had it. How many versions did we go through that song, Ty? Play a 45. Oh my God. And just trying to find the sweet spot because at first it was kind of had more of like a banger energy. And then a couple months before we made it, we were like, shit, we need to retract these vocals, add some instrumentation, maybe some soft guitar, add a couple bass notes, add some harmonies. We did a lot of additional production on that one to make it feel more live. I had that beat from Trox and I loved it. It's the perfect beat to freestyle over because it's, it gives you so much room to do things, which is the reason we went through so many versions. I was adding harmonies, but a huge part of the project and of my college years was just like going out and being a little bit of a player. <laughs> And so I think, you know, boys get a bad rep for being players, which they are, but so are girls. And, you know, sometimes it just happens. It's real at the end of the day. It's it real. Is. <laughs> then we get to hungover. Just get closer, 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 closer. 
saxophone oh Yo. my god yes i'm so glad you said that who is that and how did it come to be and this is and a thank cool you. story so that came to be because i i knew i wanted a sax on that record and all of the additional production on the project came from from portland i was on instagram one night and dj og1 posted on his story someone playing sax at the halftime of the blazers game and I DM'd him, I was like, who is this? And it was this guy named Mike Phillips. And Mike Phillips is the first musician to be repped by the Jordan brand, lives in Portland, played with Stevie Wonder and Prince and all of these incredible artists in his lifetime. And, and to this day is traveling, playing halftime shows for NFL games, NBA games, still playing in bands and stays in Portland. And so I just DM'd him and I was like, hey, <laughs> like I need some sacks. Are you like down to come through? And he was like, yeah, you seem dope, let's do it. Came through, told us stories. He's actually cousins with Pete Rock. And so he came in, he's telling stories about growing up and in the early era of hip hop and what it was like touring with legendary musicians and having Stevie Wonder play at his wedding. All these crazy stories. And one of the first people to record in the studio we built to just like bless that room, absolutely killed it. He also is the one who played on Roll Call. It just snapped like an incredible musician is an understatement. Pete Rock's cousin, yeah. like what? <laughs> the wildest Stevie stories. Stevie Wonder at his wedding, like yeah. wow. Yeah, exactly. Goodness gracious. Then we get the petty. it because petty has such a negative connotation mm -hmm. but i think it's so cool when people own things that have like no i'm owning yeah. this and not only that like you're sticking up for yourself in a way too mm -hmm. like i'm just not gonna do that right what was it like writing that song it was actually one of my first sessions in la it's the oldest song on the project when was it's that two years old oh wow i had a session with jahan sweet who produced that record and sid from the internet actually was singing the hook and had the hook on there and he played it for me and I was like, damn, like, I think I could kill those verses. He was like, you think so? I was like, yeah. So he sent it to me and we sat with it for a while because it does lean more pop. I don't think I've ever had so much fun writing a song. I was like sitting in my apartment in Eugene by myself, just like cracking up because I thought I was so clever. So it was hella fun and we made it and it kind of was intended to be a single that was going to go along with Don't Touch and Buzzer, but it didn't make sense because those were so much darker. And we had it, we knew it was a great record. We wanted to put it on the project, but it wasn't quite hip hop enough. So we got back in with Jahan, added that fat snare in the hook, added those 808s, added some like vintage hi-hat loops and it came out. So good. Thank you. Man, now Illegally Blonde. Hi. Hey, what floor do you need? Uh, nine, please. Oh, what's up on nine? Uh, my studio's up there, I'm a rapper. Oh. 
What the fuck is going on? Saif, don't be like that. She's a white girl from Portland. What's she rapping about? The ski lodge with her parents, Deb and Genki Candle, playing Harry Potter trivia, wearing those burger stock sandals. Hi, I'm Lizzie McGuire from the rap game, and you're watching the Disney Channel. That's not nice at all. She's out there drinking that LaCroix water, growing granola on her co-op urban rooftop farm. I don't, I don't think you grow granola. You grow granola. Sight. You know white people don't wash their legs, right? Yes. Cypher sounds. Ooh. My boyfriend is a huge Cypher sounds fan, uh, and me so too. like we go and see him live when he does stand up. Oh, like, fun. like we're super into it. So Dope. for this to come in and him just make fun of you oh. and just go in. It was so good. What was that process like? I kind of wanted to like Eminem 8 Mile it. So I called Saif because Saif was actually one of the first people who found me in like 2016, I think, and just kind of became my funny uncle. And I was like, Saif, I want you to roast me. So he came in the studio in L.A. in like May, I think. And for a couple hours, we just sat up there freestyling jokes and, you know, shooting shit and when he said the tarantula line, <laughs> I like lost my shit. He killed it. My favorite part is you don't grow granola. You, don't, you grow granola. <laughs> yeah, he killed that. Oh my goodness! And then the thesis. Uh, feel the energy. Feel it. You can't top dollar with top dollar. They gonna remember me for centuries. Praying on my downfall. I'm praying for my enemies. I don't want no credit. These is real tendencies. They chant my name in every city that I visit. Traveling the finest, but what's the man in the civic? The they love you when you rich and respect you when you the trillers. Mama, daddy, aunties, and uncles that take a village. Kick my feet up on occasion. Fill my glass with some drinks. Oil in my system. Trying to gas up the tank. Just how important Portland is, even, mm -hmm. you know, taking the name, the thesis from a show that you guys throw out there mm -hmm. and, and just bringing everybody together. The video mm -hmm. had everybody in it. It was mm -hmm. just so important to the city. Yeah. And it shows that through the verses and through the video and through all of that. When did that idea kind of click for you? Like, no, we're going all the way with this. I had the idea in December, uh, a little over a year ago, and didn't know it was possible mm -hmm. because I wanted to bring people from different generations and different stages in their careers and different areas in the city so the goal obviously was to get all of those people on it you know dame is in the middle of the season in december but i hit him and i was like hey because we've been planning to make some music together for a while like hey i want to make this cypher record for portland it's going to be you and me and some other local artists would you be down he was like yep i got you just like remind me so some time goes by we start hitting people it was hard because we had to coordinate a lot of schedules. Yeah. We made the beat pretty quickly. Theory has it, produced it from Portland, came in two hours and made that beat. Everyone came through and finally, I didn't even remind Dame. I talked to him briefly in the playoffs and he was like, I still got you, don't worry about it. I texted him the day that they announced his max contract in Portland and was like, hey, <laughs> like congratulations, this is fucking sick. And he was like, yeah, by the way, you get that verse, I just sent it over, yes. which is a legendary, like to have your max contract in Portland and send the thesis verse in the same day, such a like sick Portland history moment. Oh my God. And then to shoot a video for it was beyond my dreams. Riley did that one, who's right here, you know, to shut down Pioneer Square in Portland is insane. And to put hip hop there yeah. because hip hop's had a really complicated history in Portland. And I can't tell that story because it's not mine to tell, but to put it there and to have Dame pull up and to have the whole city, all the designers, DJs, artists, photographers, like everyone be there just to support the scene was like 
honestly like pretty emotional it was really dope and i love that you said everybody came to the studio because you know you may be in the same city but people still do file sharing and yeah. stuff like that so the yeah. fact that almost everybody pulled up yeah that's a big accomplishment yeah. too and that really helps just boost the excitement of it all yeah. so that's super dope then ken Mastro giovanni yeah no you guys had oxcord Weak, burnt out, I'm unmatchable. Timberland likes my sound cloud, so get up off my testicle. I'm not next to y'all, far as I'm concerned, you're above me. I act like that's the truth, so I don't let up for the money. I don't want you in my business, I won't put you in my phone. The ninth floor is in flames, past that rose, the cortisone, pointing nose. The view over the city looks like Gotham. Not fronting for publicity, didn't start at the bottom. Pip, pip, pillar for the city, I'm making news columns. Rhymes are fucking raw, we don't use condoms, we have nothing in common. I listen to quality in common, I could probably get my doctorate at organ and turn around and come back to sell out the oxen. 40 seconds yeah pass me the ox cord yeah i'm going in yeah why cut it at 40 well the original version is i think two minutes two and a half minutes mm -hmm. and it was just really intense my college band produced that they came in the studio and jammed for two minutes ken master is the name of my college drummer and he did that on an mpc never played it before did that in one take and then it crashed and we lost the file oh my god so all we had was that and i told that story to my publisher chris and he was like what's the name of the drummer and i said ken master giovanni he goes if you don't name the song ken master giovanni i don't want it to come out we played him the whole song and it's a little the whole version is a little intense because it's like some jazz drumming with like some weird harmonic bass line so we cut it at 40 just to like kind of jolt people and to end it on the, I could get my doctorate at Oregon and come back to sell out the Autzen, which is the Duck Stadium there, is a cool place to end it. So we might need that whole thing one day, though. Someday, I'll, someday. someday I'll drop it because that, that sounds crazy. Like just it's dope, man. Yeah, I'm a fan of it, but it is a little intense. Then we get to find things. What was the thought process in writing that? Fine Things came about because we had pretty much finished the project and I felt like we were kind of missing that don't touch buzzer kind of energy. And I hit two of the most talented people I know, one of them being Samurai, who's a sample maker from Portland, and one being Christo, who does a lot of stuff with Jid and Earth Gang. And had Samurai flipped some samples, I sent them to Christo and I was like, yo, I need kind of a this vibe. And they both knocked it out of the park within a day. And we got the beat back and Ty and I were bumping it. We were like, yo, this slaps. We got back into the studio. I freestyled that hook that came out. And it took me a while to get the verses because it had to fit a specific vibe. But once we did it, it was worth it. Did you pick the samples or? I sent him a couple references of songs and was like, can you play some instruments to catch this vibe? And Sam plays a shitload of instruments. He has a studio that he like specializes in that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Then we get to my second favorite, 212 degrees. To know what happened to Rodney King My classmates were getting low to apple bottom jeans After our release, I'm worried I have cousins I don't know about At least by Halloween I have enough masks to go around I'm asking all these things like why is it me But I don't ask God anymore I just follow her lead, uh-huh You just name the time and place, yeah, yeah I come meet you at the gates, yeah, yeah I always pronounce her name incorrectly How do you pronounce her name? Mahalia. Mahalia. I always want to say Mahalia. Mahalia. Completely off. What was it like working with her? So fun. She's so nice. And just like to meet another 
woman who's my age who's in the music industry it's just refreshing because it's a sausage fest we linked because we just we have some similar people on our teams and they were like you know this makes sense and i'd made that record with soundwave and she'd been working with soundwave as well so she pulled up to the studio and we just chopped it up for a couple hours at first and just kind of talked about life and about producers we'd worked with that we had weird stories about just like random shit and she was so nice so sweet and we'll definitely be making some stuff in the future i love the content in that when we talked about ego check and you feeling like an outsider and i think you kind of dove a little deeper into the outsider you know what it was like for you in high school and yeah. just kind of like the things you were interested in versus what other people were interested in and, and i almost interpret the chorus as like questioning god in a sense yeah what's your interpretation or what was your idea in making that song that studio session was like a spiritual experience for me <laughs> it was super wild because i didn't write in the room ever but soundwave is like my favorite producer of all time and so when we had the opportunity to get in with him i was like holy shit i need to like i need to impress soundwave <laughs> who's super nice by the way i sat down and i started writing and for me in high school i went through some like pretty intense depression spells a lot of that being rooted in how the fuck am I going to make this work? It's the opposite of what anyone would expect. And because of that, there's extra barriers and extra obstacles that I'm going to need to get through. And it might take me an extra 10 years. And it's just, it's a scary path to walk. So a lot of it was me sort of questioning, you know, why me? Why am I doing this? Why did this stand out to me? Why am I here? But every time I was asking those questions, shit just started working and as many times as i thought people would question me or not believe that i was in it for the right intentions i was actually shocked at getting the opposite reaction i would expect everyone to be like absolutely no we're not letting this white girl come on tour with us or i'm not happy on this song with this one. i expect that so when that wasn't happening I was genuinely like, shit, I guess I should just keep doing what I'm doing and follow my path and not question what's going on here because I'm in it for the right intentions. And obviously people can see that. So that song was kind of me letting go of needing to have kind of control over that and kind of accept like, yeah, it's fucking weird right now. I'm in college and I'm going through all my own personal shit and some traumatic times. And also I'm having the best times in my life. I'm going to Coachella for the first time. I've met my best friends and I'm playing shows. I'm like, I'm making music for a living. Okay. It's like the highest highs and the lowest lows all at once. So that's, it's just a weird, as everyone knows, it's a weird dichotomy to live with. And those are the verses that came out of me. And it's like one line summaries of everything happening in my life at the time. It's very dense, but my favorite verses on the project are on there. That's so powerful. Even that thought process, of course, I can completely relate to like, mm -hmm. oh, think about like oh this is what they're gonna ask me and this yeah. is i'm gonna face this barrier and then you're right. like oh wait this because you happen. never know how people are gonna react if you're yourself then hip-hop doesn't have a problem with you but if you're just telling lies you're trying to be someone you're not they'll spot you because it's like it's obvious i think that's powerful too because on ego check you start off the song by saying i was about to explain myself but fuck it oh yo that's actually a really good story oh man but i can't tell that story <laughs> i respect that but to me not knowing that story that just feeds into what you just described like yeah. i was gonna explain myself but but i'm not facts <laughs> exactly why the title 212 degrees that's the boiling point and i felt like i was at my boiling point when i made that song soundwave actually doesn't know this the night before that we got super fucked up where i was like 
it was a puke party. And I woke up the next day and I was like, I can't believe I did that. That's the most important session of my life. Like, I'm so hungover right now. I make my best music when I'm hungover. I learned that through the process of this project. Wow. Pulled up there and ended up having the best session I've ever had. So I was definitely at my boiling point. <laughs> it's beautiful, though. You, you learned about yourself and yes. you did it. Fuck yes. yeah. Man, anything else you want to tell the people about If I May? I don't think so. Those are some good stories on there. It was a fun project. We built a studio in Portland really to make it and to have a safe space to do that. And it was definitely some of the best and most challenging parts of my life, but it put me on a incredible tour with these great people and I'm just happy to be here. It's so, so good. Go stream it right now. Yes. If I may, then I might. Yes. <laughs> and thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for this project. Thank you for telling me these stories and sitting thank down for, with me. Thank you thank for being you. curious. No, of course. And thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. I have upcoming episodes with Rico G, Mick Jenkins, Homeboy Sandman, and 070 Fee. Also, reach out to me. Let me know what your favorite part was or just say hi. I'm on Twitter at Special Says and on Instagram it's at Special Says as well. As always, this episode is dedicated to Marlon. Do what you can to stop senseless acts of gun violence.